Hello and welcome to the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson, the podcast designed to give you all the financial advice you'll ever need. This is episode 51, where this week we're looking at intergenerational financial planning. I know I could barely spell it either. And it's because of stuff like that, big words frightening you off, this podcast exists to make financial terms and finance easier to understand. So don't be put off. We'll break it all down for you in just a second. There's a limit on how many times I can say the word intergenerational without ballsing it up anyway. More than that in just a sec, but you're in exactly the right place to research for other financial advice too, because in our programs to date, we've covered mortgages, investments, pensions, credit unions, self-build homes, help to buy schemes, premium bonds, life insurance, and loads more. You name it, we've done it pretty much. Last week, we reviewed sustainable and ethical investing. We can drill down and look at pretty much anything forensically, but if you have a general financial query, first place to look is probably our back catalogue. Search the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts, and you'll find us there. An enormous resource, all available for free. Find our previous shows after listening to this one and have a binge on what you need. While you're there, if you could rate and review us, for instance, you could tell us, what we need to address to help you out and follow the show. And then that way, you'll get that episode when we record it next time. I'm John Ellis. With me, as always, the star of the show, Phil Anderson. Hi, Phil. Hi, John. How are you today? Good, thank you. Now, intergenerational financial planning. Now, for some reason in my head, that sounds like one of the Star Trek movies. But I'm assuming it's your ma and dad trying to make it easier on you for money as they get closer to pegging it. Just about. the. (laughs) It's kind of... Like in, in recent years, the, the existence of generational wealth gap has become all too clear. And, and thanks to I mean, a, a combination of large gains on property um, stock markets over the last kind of few decades, and, and also you had things like um, generous final salary pension schemes, the baby boom generation now hold half of all the UK's private wealth. So, right. um, And then in contrast, the, the younger generation... They, they face significant obstacles to accumulate, accumulating wealth. And this is maybe due to things like high student debt, expensive housing costs. I mean, the, the job market at the minute is, is for some, that isn't really all that secure. And, and then you've also got the rising cost of saving for, for retirement. So as a result, there's never been such a wide disparity in wealth distribution between the, the older and, and younger generations. And other things that have added to the financial challenges across the, the generational divide is that you, you've got people increased life expectancy. So, so that means that older people are typically living longer. And this increases the need for and the cost of residential and nursing care, which is something we've covered kind of previously as well. But mm-hmm. all, all these trends inevitably can exert different financial pressures on different members of a family unit. Um, and this in turn increases the need to consider financial planning issues at a family level rather than doing things kind of just in individually. So rather than each generation making their own arrangements in isolation, families are increasingly trying to optimise their combined resources in order to achieve better outcomes that are capable of benefiting the, the whole family. Okay, so what exactly then is, is intergenerational financial planning? I mean, presumably it's not as simple as digging a hole in the back garden and throwing a biscuit tin stuff of cash in there for your kids to find at the right time. I know, maybe rabbiting on a, a wee bit there. And, but intergenerational financial planning, it's essentially a strategy designed to ensure the smooth transfer of wealth down the generations 
in a controlled and tax efficient manner. That's probably a simpler way of, of kind of putting things, but in essence, it involves integrating financial planning decisions across generations with grandparents, parents, and children all working collaboratively to support each other. And at the same time, ensuring that the family wealth is protected and opportunities for growing their, their funds is maximized from one generation to the next. And by, by doing so, an intergenerational approach can ensure that the right family members have the right assets at the right time, whilst minimizing any potential family disputes or conflict. Mm. See, this to, to me, Phil, this, this has always happened. You, you watch any film, or even if you just look at history, you've got the Duke of Westminster, who is one of the, the, the biggest... Uh, property owners in London, and he says, "Well, it does help having William the Conqueror as, as you know one of your ancestors." But why? Why is this now particularly relevant today? I would say it's relevant today because you know planning ahead is it's important with modern families. I mean, some some families nowadays are, are starting to be a bit larger again. I've got six boys myself, which is maybe a bit more than than most. But I, I think family situations can be more complex now than, than they've ever been. I mean, there's an increase in, in people getting divorced, a rise in second marriages, second families, for instance. So there, there's extra layers of complex, like things being a bit more complex for people. And, and I think that gives need for more kind of careful planning. And, and again, you, you want your wealth to be passed down the line in line with your wishes. So, so again, that, that's more reasons why you want to be doing financial planning and, and intergenerational financial planning. You want things, you, you want your money to go to the people that you want mm. it to, to go to. But I, I would say a, a key element is therefore establishing a family roadmap and that should detail who should receive your money and how you would like it to be used. Such an, like that, this kind of approach it just means that your family aspirations are met. And at the same time, you want to keep control of, of your finances as well. So uh, and another thing that, that comes up just now, and another reason why intergenerational planning is particularly relevant today is related to what's called the great wealth transfer. Now, they, they, they reckon, estimates suggest that in the UK, 5.5 trillion could be set to be passed between generations over the next 30 years. I mean, this will see unprecedented sums of money cascade down through the generations as baby boomers. I mean, the baby boomers really are, they're the wealthiest generation in history overall. And like they're they're now preparing to pass their assets on to their heirs. So this kind of planning is, is so important. And these kind of record-breaking sums inevitably mean that there's never been such an important time to look at all of this kind of financial planning. Yeah, five and a half trillion. Though that's that's some figure. I mean, that's I'm a not lot greedy. Of money. I'm not greedy. I'll take a quarter of a trillion quite happily and walk away. That that'd be okay <laughs> for me. Uh, I'm going to mention my auntie Margaret Phil because she is a rich matriarch of my wife's family, really. And auntie Margaret stays in a millionaire's row kind of wing in a very plush set of retirement apartments. She is forever trying to help the younger members of the family by maybe putting a few pounds towards this or that and helping make ends meet. I dare say we'll, we'll never know half the stuff she's done in a sort of charitable fashion for the family at large, but she always defends her actions by saying, you're not robbing an old lady. If you don't take this now, it'll only go to the tax man once I'm dead. And as crude and personal an example as that might be, 
broadly speaking, she's right, isn't she? I mean, whenever we, we think about passing money down the line, the first thing that crosses our minds is how to get most of it out there without it being grabbed in taxes. So, so what's the trick? Should we actively involve the family the way that Auntie Margaret does? I, I mean, I, I'm a great advocate for, for involving the family. You know, sadly, a lot of people procrastinate and, and put it off. And despite the increase in need to adopt a collaborative and open approach to transferring wealth, many people are still uncomfortable discussing money issues with their family. So that's a bit of a, a stigma that we, we need to try and get away from. And if the process is to be successful, though, it's like I, I feel it's imperative that, I don't know, you, you need to start the conversation. That, that's often the, the hardest part. But and that, that's where a financial advisor can can help. I mean, they, they can come in and, and get the ball rolling with, with that. But I think it's good to encourage your children your grandchildren to become involved in your financial decisions. And not only that, I mean, that, that can boost their financial literacy themselves. And it also means that they're ready to take control of the family assets when the time comes as well. So it's su such an important thing. And it also allows us to get to know the beneficiaries so we can help educate them financially and, and make them make better financial decisions as well. So I, I think there's a lot of benefits in people sitting down together and, and discussing things, you will get some folk that think, no, I don't want my family to, to know anything about this. And hey, that's fair enough. We're all different and, and all got different outlooks on, on things. But I, I'm always a great believer in trying to involve people along the way. I'll tell you what the problem is here, Phil. We're, we're sort of skirting around the issue. It's that you're, you're taking something which is, uh, in essence, pretty simple uh, and making it, quite complex by by involving emotion and the emotion says the moment that we talk about money coming down the line we also have to at the same time think about great aunt goethe the one that's got the money popping her clogs and we don't want to think about that because that's an emotional yeah, thing yeah that's uh, definitely and again i know we mentioned this a lot in this type of focused show but you, you just never know what's coming and it's not morbid it's it's savvy to not put this off isn't it Oh, definitely. I mean, a, a lot of people, the, the, the reason they fail to speak about inheritance is kind of procrastination. They, they often think, right, I'll just leave it till my next birthday. I'll leave it for, for a while. Yeah. And then before you know it, like time is, is wearing, all on, wearing on all the time. So it is, I, I think like a lot of people have got the intentions of, of speaking to their family about things, but I don't know, they, you've got to start somewhere. And like starting to plan the process at the early opportunity is often the key to being successful because the, the sooner you begin things, the more time you've got to sort things out effectively. And a key advantage of early planning is it gives you greater control over the whole process, which in turn can help ensure you're around to witness your younger generation benefiting from, from your money. So again, there's plenty of reasons to going to start the process sort of now but I mean in increased life expectancy it also means that people now receive their inheritance at a time where they might not necessarily have the most pressing financial needs so for example it maybe arrives after they've paid off a mortgage or finished putting children through school so by everyone working together it, it can benefit more people and and you know that that's one of the the most important elements of any wealth transfer is ensuring your own financial security 
transferring assets to family within your your own lifetime, it can be a really a rewarding thing for for mm. someone. So I mean, it's always important to know that you've got enough yourself, but it, it can be really rewarding seeing your family benefiting from from what you're giving them. And I again, with, with the right advice and where the right where where the circumstances permit, passing on wealth to others, it, it like keeping your own standard of living. It, it, what you want is achievable as well and it just you, you're the one that's in control of the whole process and you, you can give money to your beneficiaries when they need it most yeah absolutely and and like you say you know we, we talk about securing peace of mind but there's nothing more reassuring than, than seeing it happen in in real time uh, whilst you're still here as you say equally and I'll, I'll use my mum as an example this time the first of her sort of lifelong friend group of girls passed away the other day and it hit her hard because my mum never really thinks about age too much, hasn't affected her all that badly so far. But when it's as close to home as that, she started saying things like, well, it could be me next. That's the time of life I'm in now. On the other hand, like her mum, she could quite easily pop on for another 20 years. So the point I'm making here is, you don't want to pass on so much that you end up being short yourself, do you? Yeah, definitely. And and although intergenerational planning is essentially about passing on your wealth, a central element is ensuring your own standard of living and, and making sure that that's not compromising. But I, I would say is it's your money and you come first. That, that's definitely one of the things I would be a great advocate of. Yeah, way back in the, the distant annals of time, Phil, I remember a show that we did called Nay Will, Nay Wise. Perhaps this is not a time to mention it because considering it is a relatively simple process, like I say, often only a page long and often for free if it's a standard process, leaving a will could just stop an awful lot of confusion, arguing, or at worst, um, legal battles. I mean, not just between family either, but between family and the state. Oh, definitely. You know, intergenerational planning inevitably involves finding solutions to a range of issues across a number of financial product areas. So for example, like through estate planning, I mean, that, that's essential in order to maximise the amount you pass on to your chosen beneficiaries. An effective plan will utilise various tools such as gifting in order to minimise tax liabilities, as well as things like the, consider the provision of a will. So such an important thing. And I, I would really urge anybody, if, if you don't have a will, go back and listen to that episode because it was having a will is such a, an important thing and it's such an easy thing to set up and do as well. Yeah, it is. I mean, like I say, often one, one page, I mean, it's my, mine is as simple as, you know, whatever I have, if I die first goes to my wife. And if not, if we're, if she's dead already, then it goes equally between my kids. Simple as. Yeah. And you know, that, that may need to alter over time, but only because, you know, maybe, my kids have have kids, and then you want to include your grandchildren in your will, or whatever. Yeah, but it's an easy enough it's an easy enough fix, isn't it? Yeah, Another, good to keep updating it as well. That's that's yeah. the other thing. Once it's made, it's not just that's it. You you've got the flexibility to change it in the future as well. Another element that I remember that the, the terminal, but might need a refresher on is lasting power of attorney. Recap on that for me if you could, and why yeah. it's relevant. A lasting power of attorney should also be part of the, the plan as well. And we did the previous episode on that, and that can be found in the, the back catalogue. And again, that's another one. If, if you don't have a power of attorney in place, go back and listen to that episode. It, it's like such a thing that you, you kind of really cover that in just one short question. So I, I would certainly urge folk to go back and listen to that one as well. The will, wills and powers of attorney, it's such 
an overlooked area, yet it's such an important area. Finally, Phil, this one, it's another term that I heard you use just a moment ago, actually, but it sounds like there's there's quite a few sort of levers and you know things that you can do within this one term. A, I'm not sure what specifically it covers or, or how it's enacted and ruled out. So what exactly is estate planning and how might it be beneficial in these circumstances? You know, estate planning can incorporate a number of different things. Yeah. So, so the first thing I would say is, like one example of that is tax efficiency. So you want to ensure that any wealth transfer process is carried out as in, in as tax efficient a manner as possible. So things like looking to try and reduce inheritance tax bills, making the use of gifts. But basically, you, uh, the majority of people are going to want their family to benefit from their money and not the tax man. So that, the, the majority of people, so good tax planning and tax efficiency kind of incorporates within estate planning. We, we've kind of briefly touched on control. I mean, you, you want to retain control of your finances throughout the process, and that's something that's that's so important. And this ensures that you're deciding exactly how you pass on your wealth, who to and with any restrictions, when they get it. So, so control is a big element of estate planning. Timing is another one. So um, like today's complex family structures, I mean, have heightened the need to plan ahead and resulted in timing becoming an increasingly key factor in order to avoid any unforeseen consequences or nasty surprises. An example of that would be you, you may want your kids to inherit, but you maybe didn't want there's what's called sideways disinheritance, where you wouldn't want you would want them to benefit from the money. And if they maybe then divorced from their husband or wife or partner, you didn't want them laying claim on the money. So an awful lot of things to take into account when you're looking at estate planning. We, we've touched on access being, being a thing as well. And like in an era of high divorce rates and blended families, there's a number of traps that like people can fall into there. So good planning and good estate planning is something that I'm a real advocate of. And it is that there's so much to, to kind of consider. I mean, other like bits of estate planning is things like protection. It's a key element of, of any intergenerational plan is ensuring that your assets are protected and can be passed on from one generation to the next. And then we've also touched on things like wills, trusts, powers of attorney, that there's lots to think about and lots, lots to plan for. That, that's a key thing. And, you know, a, a lot of people, I, I would say one, one of the key sort of takeaways today is people often look at financial planning for themselves, but it's good to look at, right, financial planning, not just for you, but your family as a whole. So it, 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 I thought it'd be good just to, to do the podcast today. Really, a lot of people didn't think about intergenerational financial planning. They, they just think about themselves and their own circumstances. But by planning more overall, it can have big impacts and big benefits for people. Absolutely. Um, and you mentioned that being one of the key takeaways. The, the, the other thing I would say to you is, having listened to this podcast and having listened to you speak, it's a, it's a big, chunky, <laughs> hard hard to um sort of nail down in in one podcast yeah, definitely. subject i i just wonder if you've listened to this and you're thinking right okay so there's estate planning there's wills there's power of attorney what what would be if you just had to give it like one recommendation where is the one place to start is it speaking to a family member or do you go straight for 
financial advice? Yeah, I think a wee bit of both. I, mean, I, I, I personally think it's good to speak to your, your family members and involve them in things. Some people don't like to do that. I'm always a great advocate of people taking financial planning ex- advice and speaking to a, a financial advisor. So I do think that's a good starting point. Go and find a, a good financial advisor and they can help you with a, a lot of this stuff. I mean, you, you can try and do things yourself. It's like anything. I mean, you, you can try and service your car yourself. You could go on, you could go on YouTube and try to, to find out how to do it. But do you have the time to, to kind of get into that when you can go and speak to an expert and they can help you uh, uh, make the process so much simpler, so much easier? So, no, I, I think seeking financial advice is always something that I, I kind of say to, almost every week. Yeah. Is it, it's such a, can be such a complex area, such a personalised area as well. And everybody's needs are different. Every family situation can, can be a bit different. And I, I'm a great advocate in people going in and speaking to a financial planner. Okay. We're a weird country, the UK, when it, when it comes to, to DIY. You know, we're probably the only country on the planet that thinks, you know, I'm going to have a go at this myself. And, and it's okay if you're just wallpapering or painting a room, that's, that's fair enough. But nobody sits there and, and watches something like, you know, ER or uh, Hobie City and then thinks the next time they're in a restaurant, God, that guy's having a heart attack. But it's okay. Don't call the police or the ambulance. I watched Toby last night. I'm going to have a go myself. <laughs> Nobody does that. And you shouldn't do that with financial planning either. People are yeah. trained. People are trained to help you. Let them do it. Now, each week, so far as we've covered topics, Phil's given us a look back over his own life story and how it's been affected by subjects we've been discussing. So, Phil, today, uh, you mentioned how things can be quite complex in terms of, of family. Intergenerational financial planning. You've got the six boys. I'm sure this has crossed your mind at some point. What what have you got of that? Oh, definitely. Like for me, I mean, it, it's something that I've been thinking about for for quite a while. I, I also, I mean, I'm I'm big into like goal setting and, and thinking, right, how do I want things to look in the future? Now, stuff can come up and, and circumstances can change and life can change in the blink of an eye. It, it can change so quickly. But I, I've got six kids. One, one of my kids has got Down syndrome. And because he's got special needs, for me, one of my big goals is I've always thought, right, it's imperative that he's well looked after if anything happens to myself. So, I mean, for me, I, I've got plenty of life insurance in place. I, I, I always had a figure in my head that I thought, right, I want that. I want to have this amount in, a, in, a, in an account, but for him so that he can have as good a life as possible, especially if I wasn't there. And I've also got to think that, likelihood is that I'll probably outlive eh, that he'll outlive myself so I want him to be well looked after so so for me I've been I've actually been planning for this almost since the day he was born or or certainly planning for for him but then I I want to try and help my other kids I I, if if I can I am lucky that that I do pretty well financially and and I think yeah okay I, I need so much to live off myself but I would love to be able to try and make my kids' lives a wee bit easier as they get older, and especially Evan, my, my son with Down syndrome. So, yeah, intergenerational financial planning is something that I've like done a, a lot of personally myself, and it is, it's good. My, my kids are still relatively young, but I know in the next year or two, start involving them more and have them being just a little bit more financially savvy as well. I mean, I, my, my oldest son's only 16, and I'm already saying to him, it's like, look, you should start thinking about a pension soon. I know you're 
really young. But the, the younger you are, when you do things like that, the better it is for you in the long term. I'm just waiting to see if if the sign will go up outside the door saying, Phil Anderson and son and son and son and son and son and son, and son financial. <laughs> I know. I know. That's it. Like my, my oldest son, I always sort of thought he might want to have a career in financial services, but he wants to join the police. And I'm like, hey, if, if that's what you want to do, that's that's what you want to do. And like, I, I've really enjoyed my time in, in financial services, but everybody's different. That, that's a, one of the beauties in life, is it? The world would be a boring place if we were all the same, Phil. Uh, we always do this bit as well. You, you find inspiration through various people you admire, and you do love a quote. Have you got one that fits our subject matter for today? Intergenerational financial planning. I feel like I'm taunting that phrase now. I'm going to mess it up sooner or later. We might have. I don't know if we've used this one before. I know mm. we've definitely used that. It's a quote from Alexander Graham Bell, and we've definitely mentioned him at some point in, in one of the, the previous shows, so maybe one we've used before, but quote of the week this week, before anything else, preparation is the key to success. Ah, uh, yeah, absolutely. What is it? Um, fail to prepare, prepare to fail. Well, that was other... I did look at that one. I thought, well, I <laughs> that one. We maybe used that one before. But, I don't, uh, I don't there's know. There's only so many quotes to go around. That's what it brings to mind, anyway. Now, Phil is uh, really keen on trying to help you with your financial queries. If you want to email a question to us, you can. Please do. And as always, we can ask him anonymously if you prefer us to. Let's get on to this week. Uh, contact details in just a sec. Give it to you after these. Here's our first question. I heard your show last week on sustainable and ethical investing. I found it really interesting. I'd like to give this a go, even though my own funds are relatively modest compared to most. Is there anywhere which lists companies of this nature so you can see which might be a fit for you? There's, I mean, I, I normally say like a good starting point is to go and speak to a financial advisor, but... Another alternative, you, you could look, I mean, they, there's companies that do research on various funds. One, one that I've come across in the past is Money Facts. They do a rating service for ethical funds, and you can find that online. And they what, what they do is they, they kind of do ratings. So they've got some funds that have got like a five out of five rating, other ones that are four. And they, they've got their criteria as to how they come about this. So... I would say maybe like a website such as Money Facts might kind of help you a wee bit there. One that I use is called De Facto, but the only thing with that one, it's more, I think, for financial advisors, mm. but it's quite good. They do star ratings and they, they're now starting, they, they call it ESG reviews. So they, mm. they like the advisors that work at the firm that I own, that's one of the websites that they use. They've got like documents there. and But I do think, I think that one's more for advisors as opposed to, the, the public, but yeah, that, that money facts ratings, it, it's on ethical funds, so that, that would be worth a look, I would say. Let me just follow this one up, Phil. You know me, never never frightened to ask a, what could, on the surface of it, be a, an extremely dumb question, but is there such a thing as uh, a marketplace purely for sustainable and ethical investment? Coming more common. I mean, like, we, we use that website de facto, and they've actually got, like, an ESG section so, so in there, they'll look at, but what they do is they, 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 they've got teams that go into research in a great deal of detail. So they, they'll look at things and say, right, how much does that fund integrate levels of ESG into it? How does the fund manager vote when it comes to, like, because the, the fund managers own a share of that company. So they've got voting rights 
with like on, on a lot of things. And what they they what this research companies do is they say right, what's their voting? Like how do they vote on certain policies and things? They they'll look at things in a lot more detail. They they'll also look and say right, how is the fund aligned to? The United Nations have got what's called sustainable sustainable development goals. They look at all of this sort of thing. So they're looking at it in heavy duty detail. And that's where they get their ratings for all these kind of things. But ESG and, and ethical funds, we're, we're starting to see a lot more where companies are actually rating them as that. Whereas before, they would almost just be rated on other kind mm. of things. So it's good. it gives people a lot more informed choice when, when they're making their decisions, which is good. And just one final thing on, on that subject, because it crossed my mind as you were speaking there, uh, the, the sources where you can find information on them, are there any which are weighted in favour of, I don't know, a, a particular company or, you know, which are not balanced, but have a specific viewpoint that are structured that way? Yeah, I mean, like th- companies like Money Facts and, and De Facto, they, they're independent research companies. So they're not like they 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 don't have any bias towards certain companies. I mean, you, you can go on like for example, some of the comparison websites sometimes favor companies sponsored listings and things. But mm. the, the likes of Money Facts, they're totally unbiased with all their kind of comparison tables and ratings and things. So Money Facts is a really good one. I, I would I think if you type in Google just like Money Facts like rate, ethical ratings, I'm, I'm pretty sure that it would come up with, well, list a okay. lot of the different funds and things on there. Good. I feel we've covered that one. Next is Alison in Cumbria, who says, I'm looking to buy a car on finance. At the moment, I don't have any money outstanding on loans or credit cards. And I'm wondering whether I should try to take a loan from my bank, for example, to pay the car outright, or go for the financial plan being offered by the dealer, which is incentivized by a further reduction of the overall cost of the car by a few hundred pounds. Do you know, I, I would say consider all the various options and do what you feel most comfortable with. You might find, like, compare the interest rates, right? But I don't know, one, one thing with cars is they can often dress things up in a way to say, right, your monthly payment is this. I, I remember once buying a car and, and the guy... My, my ex-partner was like, oh, I want it for this price per month. And all he did, he extended it by an extra month. <laughs> so he came down by however much. To, so she's like, yep, happy with that payment. Do you know what? I, I thought this was a great question. And I, I think what I would like to do is like a show on it next week. I, I think that would be good. And we could cover like the various options for buying your car or, or vehicle. Because th- there's a lot of different options, a lot of things to, to look into and consider. You, you've got, I mean, you can finance it by a loan. You've, you've got PCP agreements, which that stands for personal contract purchase. It's, it's basically more where you're just loaning the car as opposed to actually owning it. So I, I thought it'd be a good op- I think that'd be a good show for us to do next week and we can cover that question in an awful lot more detail. There you go, Alison. So if you can put it off for a week, I'm sure that deal's <laughs> not going to expire. <laughs> good stuff. I would just say as well, before you get in touch with a question, you, you might want to take a look at our back catalogue because we've covered 
loads of topics so far. We might have touched on what you're interested in. I'm John Ellis. Thanks for joining us today for the UK Personal Finance Show with Phil Anderson. If you feel you need a helping hand with anything we've been talking about or anything else of a monetary matter, find Phil for finance. Search Phil Anderson Financial Services online or on the Facebook page for the show. Search Personal Finance with Phil Anderson. That's Personal Finance with Phil Anderson on Facebook. Phil's on Twitter and LinkedIn as well, or why not email Phil a question you can answer on a future show? His address is phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. That's phil at philandersonfinancial.co.uk. Send him your question, and Phil could be answering it in an upcoming podcast. Like I say, please be assured we won't use your real name if that's what you'd prefer. Remember, if you find this useful, please rate and recommend us, and please follow us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts, and then you'll get us every week with the info you want when you need it. You'll get all the links you need on Phil's social media. Good luck with your money. Phil's doing his best to help make that cash go further. We'll see you next time when we're talking cars. Thanks for listening. Thanks, John. Thanks, John.